humans. Hope you're all doing all right and that your overgrown lockdown hair isn't getting all up in your grill and bothering your lovely face. Welcome to My Game Fiction Addiction, the podcast where we obsess over the best stories in video games. As always, I'm your host, Amy Mallett, writer, dedicated gamer, professional teenage boy. You know the drill. Every week, me and a guest will dive headfirst into one of gaming's greatest plot lines, talking about our fave moments, the characters we loved or hated, and the terrible decisions we made along the way. In this week's episode, we're exploring the chilling, mystery-driven first-person adventure, What Remains of Edith Finch, which was released back in 2017, developed by Giant Sparrow, and led by creative director and total babe, Ian Dallas. Edith Finch was met with positive reception from critics who praised its story and presentation, and it sounds wanky, but it is considered an example of video games as an art form. This is the kind of game that some players, especially those who want to shoot everything that moves, will describe as a walking simulator. But to us narrative fans, that just means an interactive experience that doesn't require a lot of game mechanics. Perfect for those of you who don't play many video games but love a good story. The story follows a young girl who goes back to her abandoned childhood home in search of answers to the dark mysteries surrounding her family. The opening paragraph of the Wikipedia article actually goes into a lot more plot detail, naughty naughty, but here at MyGFA we aren't going to be spilling any more of that scalding tea until the spoiler alarm goes off. My guest this week is the lovely Holly Holdsworth a talented writer and dear friend of mine who works in theatre, who's passionate about narrative games and will one day retreat into the woods, grow all her own food and never return. So grab a cuppa, get ready to reminisce if you've played this one before and look out for the spoiler alarm if you haven't. Here we go. I'm sure my mom was just trying to protect me. Now that there's only one of us left, I thought it was time I heard the stories. But now I'm worried the stories themselves might be the problem. I wouldn't class Edith Finch as a horror game, but it's very unsettling. Yeah, it's very melancholic about being a human. It's so linear that if you don't take time and look over things and sort of work things out yourself, if you try and rush through the game, then it's just going to ruin it because it's not one of those rushing through games. It's one mm. of those that you just let the story unfold slowly. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. It's good territory for like Reddit going nuts and trying to figure out as many different components as they can. So Edith Finch follows a young girl who's going back to her abandoned family home. We don't know uh, from the player's perspective at this point what she's been through or at what stage she left the house in the first place, but it's clear that she's been away for a few years and she's going back. And what a house it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's bonkers. It's nuts. (laughs) It's like the, what's the the name of the game where there's a neighbour across the road and he has some, you've got to break into his house. Oh, hello neighbour. Hello neighbour. You know his bonkers thing at the top of his house. It's like that. How are these people getting planning permission for any of this? The whole game essentially is you exploring this one location and you get small uh, sort of vignettes that detail different experiences of your family members. That's kind of the closest we can get to without any spoiler at this point. And it does span like a hundred years. It does. Oh, it's going to be quite confusing for me and you having to try and explain uh, to this lot over podcast form 
how that family tree looks. So you're not driving. You should bring up the family tree when we talk about it. So, without further ado, would you like to press the spoiler alarm? Here we go. Yeah, boy. Spoiler alert, if you don't want plot details, get out of here, because we dish in the dirt. We are about a blurt, so if you ain't played it yet, spare your poor ears and no one gets hurt. We know you'd be pissed if you're in the midst of a really great game and we told you the twist, or told you who died, and how much we cried. You'd feel kind of bad for derailing your ride. We've been there before, and it is a shitter when some total n- posts the ending on Twitter. So back away now, and you won't get scorned, because spoilers are coming and you have been warned. Yeah, fam. Hi, it's it's me. Just a forewarning, this game can be pretty triggering. It has some dark subject matter, including murder, suicide, and the death of an infant. It's not too graphic, it's entirely fictional, and if you're like me and your day revolves around serial killer podcasts, you'll be absolutely fine. But I thought it was worth giving you guys a heads up just in case. Okay, love you. Bye. So we start off with an unnamed character sat on a boat and they're looking down at a diary. A lot of this isn't going to make sense to you, and I'm sorry about that. I'm just going to start at the beginning with the house. We're being told this story by Edith. Mm. It's almost immediate that there is no character introduction. She's just the voice in your head. She's urging you to go forward. It draws you into the book and then you're suddenly in these woods. Even after I inherited the house, I never thought I'd come back to it. But now I had questions about my family that only the house knew the answers to. For mm. a variety of reasons, you immediately look down. I like to see if I've got boobs or feet. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're probably going to have one of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be weird if you had boobs, but no, no feet. feet. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I looked down and realised there was like a bit of a um, bit of a bump situation a going on there. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe she's had a big lunch, but could also be pregnant. Mm. And I think you were meant to work that out a lot later into the game. But well, I was like, oh. If the clue oh. is there, then fair enough, you took up the clue. So Edith is wandering back through the woods towards her house. We see a lot of missing posters for someone called Milton. Mm. Um, Milton Finch. When you arrive at the house, dear God, what is this monstrosity? <laughs> and then she immediately says, As a child, the house made me uncomfortable in a way I couldn't put into words. Now, as a 17-year-old... I knew exactly what those words were. I was afraid of the house. It was fear. It was fear. Yeah, Yeah, and you are as well. I mean, Mm. like I said to you before, it's not a horror game, but at the beginning, I definitely felt... It's very creepy. It's very creepy. I felt really just on edge. You know how Up is, (laughs) the Pixar film, is so wonderfully, like, welcoming and airy. Like, when you see that image of the house being carried by the balloons, you're just like... Ah, so wholesome. This was the opposite. I felt Mm. like this thing was monstrous. Looking in, I felt like the house itself had been waiting for me. And how do we go in there? Through the sodding doggy door. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah, me too. It's quirky. And actually, I've never, I've not seen you or anyone else try the front door. I've never seen anybody Uh... walk up to the front door. They, They all just immediately go off to the garage. Really? So I don't know what happens if you try and get in that way. Oh, what she wow. says or anything. There must be a dialogue option if she yeah, tries yeah, to exactly. get in the front door. So we're inside the house. Edith says something like... It was like a bomb had gone off 
killing everyone but sparing the furniture. I don't know, Edith. I don't think it did spare the furniture. Looks pretty shit in here, really. <laughs> There's like a billion Chinese takeaway boxes. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> just opened cans of fish. Also, are they hoarders? I've got to ask the oh, question. Yes. There, there are about 50 copies of the same book dotted over this house. Oh my God, there are books where books should not be. She mm. uses a brilliant metaphor. She describes the house as... Nothing in the house looked abnormal. There was just too much of it. Like a smile with too many teeth. You mm. gather they've left in a hurry because everything is just kind of in situ. Yeah. Like they hadn't cleaned up any plates or anything. They'd just gone. The most bizarre thing about this house is that there are a thousand doors that are basically just shrines to relatives that no longer live there. Yeah. It's almost like tombstones because in all these doors you have the person's name and the years they lived and died. Yeah. And they're so short, all of them. I mean, again, helpful if you have the family tree up at this point, but you see a lot of generations of finches. So you've got Edith, obviously, who's the character that you're playing as right now, who's gone back to explore. Above her is her mum, Dawn, and her dad was a guy called Sanjay, but we do, he's not actually in the tree. He married into the family, so he's mm. not really a finch by blood. Yeah. Um, and then above that, it's her grandpa, Sam, and Kay, and then their children. And then above that, it's Edie and... Edie and Sven. Sven. Yes. After Milton disappeared, Mom sealed up all the bedrooms. Then Edie retaliated and drilled peepholes. Edith's mum sealed all of the doors in the house, the bedrooms that belonged to previous relatives that lived there. Mm. Um, so any when anyone dies, basically, she just like seals up a room and that's it, they're gone. And I understand that to some degree because I think that's how some people do genuinely deal with grief. But then when she says that her great-grandma had drilled peepholes in all the doors, I was like, why? Like, mm. what is... And what's her You're intention there? wanting the connection to the person. Mm. And that's why people keep so many possessions that belonged to relatives who have died because it, there's a story that's attached to them whether a particular thing or they mm. always wore this and it helps to reconjure that person. She's been sent back there by her mum and her mum gives her a key that she doesn't know what it opens. She just has the key in her possession when she goes back. Mm. And she tries it, I think, in the basement and a few other places, but it seems to unlock a book in her uncle Walter's room. And the only bedroom that has his door open. Lewis told me there were secret passages, but I never believed him. Turns out my mom was really good at keeping secrets. Now it was time to find out what my mom had been afraid of. And almost all the locks in the house are inside books, which just brings a layer, like a, a visual layer of it always coming back to a story. Exactly. Yeah, stories and books have a massive theme throughout the whole of this. Mm. We see that there have been several hidden uh, passages and secrets built into the house once you've crawled through the passages oh something exciting as well you realize that milton the uh kid from the pictures who's missing and his flyers are scattered outside the house mm. he's been here before you so has milton found something out that he shouldn't have found out and that's mm. why it instills just another level of suspense even though the way that they do that is by a cute illustration on the wall that milton's mm. put there because he's an artist yes it's that sort of always that two-tone of warmth and like fear so we end up in molly's room molly is the young girl who is um part of the oldest generation of finches if edie is edith's great grandma that would make molly her great auntie yeah yep and she died at 10 10 mm. years old i grew up looking at molly's room through the peephole being inside for the first time i felt like i'd stepped behind a painting we find a diary. This is where 
The first vignette of the character Molly Finch happens. December 13th, 1947. Dear Diary, I'll be gone soon, but I wanted to tell somebody about what's going to happen. It started when Mom sent me to bed without dinner. She's really hungry because mm. she's been sent to bed with no food. And she kind of knocks on the door and she's like, Mom, can I come have some dinner? And her mom's like, no, go to bed. So she uh, starts eating just random shit in her room. The gerbil food was dry, but I didn't mind it. She would eat anything but not her pet goldfish, Christopher. I thought about eating Christopher, but I held back. Not Christopher, no, he's off limits. <laughs> That's pretty much the only thing that is. Yeah, she eats she eats toothpaste. toothpaste she eats gerbil food. Gerbil food. As soon as she starts eating everything, she goes to the window and we're not sure at this point whether she's like half asleep dreaming or what. Mm. She looks out the window and uh And suddenly I was a cat! And every time I've played it with someone, everyone just goes, what? Wait, what? What? <laughs> so this was when I, my mind started racing about what I thought this, this was, what was the deal with this weird family? I thought maybe they were like Animagus. Sure. Like Harry Potter. Where I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. maybe they've all turned into animals. Maybe there's a supernatural thing in which they're all just like living in the forest now. That deer we saw on the way in, probably yeah, my dad. Maybe. Who knows? Molly goes through this strange dream fever sequence and she tries to eat as many mother creatures as she can yeah bird a rabbit a seal seal yeah how funny is it when she's the shark and she's rolling oh down the hill <laughs> she gets stuck on a tree like ah! and then she smells something new across the ocean she's she's eaten she everything so much she swims up through a toilet to get it yeah she does Ew. and then she's in her room and you're like oh crap okay all of my stomach started growling and suddenly, I was me again. And she says how hungry this thing is, and it's waiting for her to fall asleep. I held my breath for a long time, but I couldn't hear anything. I think it's waiting for me to fall asleep. But it's not going to wait much longer. It needs to be, and we both know I will be delicious. I will be delicious. Yikes! So macabre. <laughs> yeah, and it just, and it dark. Yeah. So yeah, she, I mean, I was kind of like, fuck, she got eaten by that monster. But obviously, in hindsight, now we kind of know a bit more of the story and how these stories are fictionalized versions of horrific real life events and happenings Mm. or embellishments as such. The prime example is Sven being killed by a dragon, which sounds like a fantasy novel, but actually a dragon shaped slide landed on his head. When Edie told people Sven was killed by a dragon... She could also have said he was building a dragon-shaped slide that collapsed. But with Molly, I think it's the most ambiguous as to how she actually dies. That's maybe why they start with her, because they don't start Mm. with the person who died... Being hit by a train. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They they don't start with the the obvious ones. And they kind of do the family tree in a rough order of when people were born, but not always. And I think it's deliberate that Molly's is so... It is within the first 20 minutes of the game and it does really draw you in because you're thinking, oh, this could be some sort of animal cult. This could be some sort of something in the walls, you know. Exactly. Molly's story, I mean, it it could be that she ate the gerbil food, which would have given her salmonella. There were gerbil droppings in the pole, in the bowl. Um, Gerbils are fucking disgusting. Oh, you're not a fan of gerbils? Shouldn't shit where you eat. (laughs) 
I'm sure a gerbil thought that at one point. <laughs> he's had a drink one day and he's like, mate, I need to sort my life out. I and- will unite my brothers. I will lead you away from this filth. <laughs> she eats holly berries, which could have, cause her to be poisoned. Or yeah. some people online have said hallucinate potentially. So that mm, could be part of it as well. Sure. And toothpaste. Who knows what was in toothpaste in the 70s. Okay, we're done with Molly. Uh, moving on then to... Don't worry, Molly. Take her to the morgue. Take her to the morgue. This will be obvious later, but my mom never told me any of these stories. Edie would have, but mom didn't like bringing up the past. Edith keeps exploring the house and we get to uh, Edie's rooms. This is the great grandma. We get this little like slide projector thing in her room that shows how the original house um, that was built by the Finches was actually brought across the ocean and it sinks how gutted would you be if, if you, you still ta- see it from the house <laughs> you take it at the house halfway all the way from norway to america on the yeah. ocean and it sinks 30 meters from the shoreline you'd be so pissed yeah odin finch buries the latest victims of the family curse his wife ingeborg and their newborn son johan on january 7th 1937 he set sail with his family and his house hoping to leave the curse behind But 40-foot waves off the coast of Washington send the house and Odin to the bottom of the sea. What would explain all of this and these bizarre um, deaths amongst the family? A family curse. Personally, I thought, oh, maybe the curse is tied to the house. Because they make a very obvious point of saying that they built the new house out of the old house Mm. in a lot of haunted stories and i really love paranormal stuff yeah Yeah, it's something that haunts a house so that was my first thought was like okay there's something in the house we also hear about sven's death again which is the the one that Edie embellishes as being like oh he was killed by a dragon Mm. you don't see his vignette i would love to inhabit sven riding (laughs) down a dragon slide to Uh. my death for 500 years the finches have been famous throughout norway for their fortune and misfortune whatever's wrong with this family it goes back a long ways we're about to get to calvin calvin is molly's uh brother yes molly has two brothers yeah oh yes sam and calvin i knew grandpa sam had a twin and that he never talked about him so Calvin's death is, um, I guess, similarly to poor Sven being crushed by a dragon slide. He's uh, on a swing trying to uh, get as high as he can. I think his brother might have bet him that he couldn't swing all the way around. Yeah. I told him going around was impossible. Maybe if I hadn't said that. Maybe if the wind hadn't picked up. And maybe he'd still be here. But I doubt it. This is the second story, and the first vignette has taught you that this person died in a strange way. Mm. You've learned from Sven and Odin that they're potentially cursed, and then suddenly you've got a kid trying to do a loop the loop on a freaking swing, and, and you're first like, first person, remember? So you are Calvin. There's quite a lot of moments in this in this game where you are actually pushing someone towards their death. I have to keep going because it's part of the experience but I'm not okay with this. So Calvin dies by flying off a swing into the ocean. Calvin's story felt strangely familiar. When I was younger, I remember trying to do the exact same thing. So we get to Barbara and she was a child film star. Barbara dies in quite a horrific way. We're led to believe that she's murdered. Yes. This is an example of really awesome creativity and ingenuity in game design because the whole of Barbara's vignette is 
a comic book. It's a very Tales from the Crypt style, mm. um, classic cult horror uh, story with a real spooky voiceover. Oh, Jack here with another ghastly tale. I'm calling it The Surprise Ending of Barbara Finch. And yeah, the artwork well. changes completely and the pace changes completely. Because with Calvin, it was very like somber and slow and autumn leaves blowing around. Mm. And with Molly, it was a bit like, Baba Khan! Running around. Like, But this is very like heavy suspense. It's one of the first times where you're actually, one of the only times actually, you're free to walk about the whole house. Because when Barbara's going through mm. her death, nothing's locked up. Dawn isn't even born yet to lock up the room. So actually, course, you're out. Yeah. this is the first time you're able to explore multiple levels and you see a lot of clues that when you go back into Edith they're like oh so this broke here it's a lot to take in this game there are yeah, like yeah. 12 people dying back to back and without yeah. that change of genre I think it would just it would be either too emotionally exhausting or it would mm, just be flat exactly the storyline itself is that she is she was going to go to Comic Con or something, wasn't she? And perform a signature scream. Her boyfriend's with her. He's coaching her. He's trying to like scare her. He ends up going downstairs into the basement and then vanishing. And there's a report on the radio about some crazy man with a hook for a hand yeah. running around. A gang of hoodlums in Halloween masks have been terrorizing Orca's Island tonight. The gang's leader is the infamous Hookman Killer, Dr. Carl Hamill, who impaled and then ate his family 10 years ago tonight. And even though the plot of the... Uh, comic book ends so happily like oh all the monsters that are currently in the house are just there to surprise her yeah and she screams her last scream i actually found it kind of more creepy and more sinister and she's totally dead and they ate i mean they say they ate her alive she had a taste for stardom but unfortunately so did her fans i don't know whether that's a figuratively cannibalism i don't i don't really sure but they only leave one finger one ear one ear sorry one yes. ear in the music box yeah oh my god did you notice at this point that a lot of the finch family have injuries mm. like barbara i'm pretty sure barbara has a does she have a crutch at some point her boyfriend, her boyfriend has, a, has crutch. a crutch but then i think sven, sven cuts his hand. slices his hand open on the sword doesn't he yeah the person at the very beginning has a cast on their hand yep um, Didn't um, Calvin have a cast on his foot when he was swinging? He did, yes. He did, Lots yeah. broken bones. If this curse is a real thing. Like, it surprises me that they ever leave the house at all. I just exist in like a cotton wall bubble that stopped me from going anywhere. And here we are in lockdown. It's perfect Woo-hoo! for you. <laughs> Poor Walter, because he, her little brother's upstairs for the whole thing, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, she's babysitting him, so he sees everything. And that affects him just horrifically, which you can understand. He becomes yeah. entirely petrified of the outside world and actually wants to stay in the house when everyone else is in one way or another trying to leave it and little walter hiding under his bed the whole time he took it all pretty hard but that's another story so then we move on to walter so walter's been living underground like a little mole man basement dweller i remember asking mom once about where walter had gone She said after Barbara died, he got as far away as he could. If there's a pattern in all these stories, I think it's that none of us has gotten very far. Edie is bringing him food to the basement. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because Walter's alive in Edith Finch's timeline. Something you brought up, which 
um, I didn't really have as much problem with as you said. How could anyone let their family mm. member stay down there? Why mm. didn't they drag him out? Mm. But it, it, there is this thing in in the Finch world where you let people lose themselves. Mm. There's something really inherently wrong with the family because I immediately was like, oh, how can anyone leave him down there? You know, come on, they need to be in contact with him. But there's also lots of irrational things the family seem to do beyond just that. Whether or not this curse is fictitious or not, there's probably an underlining current of this could be all a psychological madness. This could be an inherited form of schizophrenia. Some people have suggested um, fantasy prone um, syndrome. The ones who aren't born into it, the husbands and wives here and there, they escape. Exactly. They're They're fine. The curse won't get them. And when Walter wanted to break out and he hacked his way through the rumbly wall yeah and finds himself on a train track he's like oh great i'm gonna go out i'm gonna see the beautiful world mm. even if i only have like a week left i'm gonna finally experience mm. it and then he's hit by a train exactly because yeah. he's not allowed to leave i can already imagine the sun on my face we follow out the tracks from walter's house and we arrive at the old graveyard, which is where Edith is kind of wandering around. She actually sees the remains of the old house. It's still out there. And that's when she first brings up the idea of the curse being manufactured by imagination. I thought it was time I heard the stories for myself and found out what happened to everyone else. But now I'm worried the stories themselves might be the problem. Maybe we believed so much in a family curse, we made it real. This is where we discover that Edith uh, Jr. is in fact Preggers, um, which I totally saw at the beginning. You got it way, way before that. When yeah. I was playing my game of boobs or feet. Maybe it'd be better if all this just died with me. But I thought you should know about your family. We know that she's essentially doing this for her unborn child. She almost gets three quarters of the way through all these different family um, memories before she kind of goes actually I think maybe it was a mistake coming back like yeah. maybe I don't need to feel the fire and maybe this is what my mum was concerned about I never met Grandpa Sam but I think he and my mom had a lot in common they were both pretty intense Grandpa Sam! Sam escaped he went and had like a life in the army and he learnt to hunt and he got married he almost got away so his vignette he's snapping pictures you essentially get to progress the story by taking a photo of a certain thing whether it's a bird or the lake or a deer Don I promise you'll never forget this weekend yes sir these memories are going to last a lifetime Mm -hmm. fair enough to him parenting is you will shoot this deer and you will like it he tries to take a lovely family selfie. He's like, we'll look back on this moment. She's crying. Yeah. I'm proud. On a 33 film on a timer. Yes. So, he, so it's not like you're just standing there with a selfie phone. You actually embody Sam and you have to run over to stand by Dawn by the yeah. time the timer goes off. Yes. And so that juxtaposition of, oh, this fun little timing game compared yes. with like a 10 year old sobbing riser. Exactly. It's always that two tone. And obviously the, the deer just jerks its head it moves slightly and it knocks sam off the cliff and that's how he dies he has a photo finish though he has Time a perfectly. he does he does yeah. i mean to be fair like what a picture what a picture <laughs> i don't think i would keep that picture if i was dawn though after sam died my mom and edie got really close they'd both lost a lot we then move into the bedrooms of the children that 
Grandpa Sam mm. and Kay had. So Dawn is the mum, obviously Edith Finch's mum. She also had two brothers, Gregory and Gus. Yeah. So Gregory is the baby. Mm. He's the youngest of the Finch family and he dies the youngest. And this is such a sad and very haunting scene. Dear Kay, do you remember the way Gregory used to laugh when he thought he was alone? Lost in his imagination. He's in the tub and he's having a grand old time. It's so heartwarming and playful and joyous. And yet you're essentially waiting for a one-year-old to die. You're not even that. You are creating the conditions for the one-year-old to die. Exactly. This this was the moment where I, I struggled. And when you were with me, I remember I kept making that frog jump and the frog would go splashing around next to the whale and like some shampoo bottles would fall off. And it became very apparent that what I had to do was get the frog to jump and land on the tap so that the water ran and then the kid would drown in the bath eventually. He's having the time of his life and he's just mm. splashing around watching his little toys play. Again, it's it lends itself to that fantasy syndrome of like, you know, it might be an embellishment of the horror that actually happened, but yeah. Gregory was at peace. And Sam even says in his letter to his wife, Kay, I'm sure he's happy. And he'd want you to be happy too. Sam's sort of divorce letter to Kay is this summarising of I'm so sorry this happened. Mm. I'm trying not to blame either of us. Yes. Let's just, you know, imagine this wonderful experience that he must have had in his last moments. Here's a question. Do we blame her? Because she was on the phone and she just like, just stay with the kid yeah, for like a second. Should, I mean, I think anything that anything that's not done purposeful or maliciously, mm. you can forgive the person. Of course, it's yeah. It's just, just not thinking. I mean, even if there wasn't any blame attributed... That's the kind of thing that a marriage doesn't survive. So, yeah. Hey, there's so much I don't understand about Gregory. About everything. But I know what happened wasn't your fault. So Gus is the final brother Mm. of the generation. How does Gus die? Just Uh, willful pride again. Yeah. Sam's remarriage and Gus is like, I don't want my dad to fucking remarry. I'm gonna fly my kite like a badass in a rainstorm. My father made him come, of course, but Gus stood far apart, just flew his kite and bottled up the storm inside his heart. Beautifully designed in terms of gameplay because uh, the words from a poem that Dawn wrote about uh, Gus kind of like stretched out across the sky and as he's controlling the kite, you're kind of grabbing the words and spinning them around. I wish that I could truly say I thought about you on that day. Out there on the beach alone, just you, the wind, the sea, and foam. But I didn't, until we found you. He got struck by lightning. Yeah, we think it, yeah. yeah. Some people say it's, he gets hit by debris as well. Yes, but it's the same yes. same sort of thing. You can see the kite literally flying around the fork lightning and you're just like, this won't end well. No. <laughs> Moving on then from Gus, we get to Dawn. My mom moved up to the loft after her brothers died. She spent a summer building houses in Calcutta, where she met my dad, Sanjay. Dawn dies of a fairly... In a I don't hospital. Wanna, yeah, I don't want to say mundane, but she dies, she gets ill, and mm. she effectively just passes away from illness. It's not like a final destination death, like most of them. So we don't get a vignette with Dawn, but we do eventually reach the top of the, the building, and we realise that we're approaching Edith's room, our character. Suddenly we're up really high. First of all, right, who, if you're a finch, 
who builds a house really stupidly high. And then Edith, she's pregnant, like 22 weeks pregnant. Why is she climbing it? She knows that her family has a death wish. Why? Yeah. yeah. If she told me there was going to be so much climbing, I never would have come when I was 22 weeks pregnant. She has two brothers. She has Milton and she has Lewis. What do you think happened to Milton, though? Because you said before, he just disappears. He just disappears. It's embellished with some fantasism because he is a wannabe magician, isn't he? So Mm. he kind of uh, is performing lots of little magic tricks. And you find one of those old school 90s flick books Mm. in his bedroom. Milton Finch in The Magic Paintbrush you can see this animation of uh, Milton painting and he paints a picture that he essentially steps into. Yes, a door, he just walks straight through it. He walks straight through it. So, and I don't, uh, my question for you was going to be, who makes that? Who who put that there? I don't know. Because that, that canvas with a door painted on it is still there. It's still in the room. You, you just can't interact with it. Yeah. I want to like climb my way through Yeah, that you want to claw your way in and see if you can totally, you know, walk through if it. Mary Poppins dimension. style. Yeah. Yeah. I was four when Milton disappeared. Mom spent months searching for my brother. Then she sealed the doors. That's the one that to me is probably, besides the Molly one, is the most ambiguously supernatural. You probably you just fell off the roof. It's so high up. I felt like Milton, as you say, you know, children disappear, that does happen. But I felt like it was almost a bit of like a cop-out. It was like, mm. doesn't Milton get more of a story than that? I suppose it's just a case of like, it's always a euphemism um, of them as a character it's always something that relates to them barbara being like a a sort of horror child star Mm. they kind of made hers about this epic scream and being cornered by all these scooby-doo-esque monsters and for milton it is just that he creates a world on a canvas that he somehow escapes into and you're right it's not satisfying in any way is it because you're just like they could have written more (sighs) mom definitely blamed Edie, but i think lewis blamed himself After he graduated, he just spent more and more time in his room. For every single character, I wrote down a couple of notes. For Lewis, I just put a heart and a sad face (laughs) because I can't deal with it. (laughs) So Lewis is the final brother and the final vignette that we get to see, the final death. And oh my God, so sad. So Lewis works in a cannery, a tuna cannery, doesn't he? He loves that weed. He loves that weed. Lewis's room smelled very, very familiar. That part of him lived on. And quite a few video game yeah, consoles. So his yeah. two things are weed and video game consoles. And they mesh together in his story. And this is the first time actually where we hear a voice from outside of the Finch family. The person recounting Lewis's story is a psychologist. So it's her recounting, explaining what she thought happened yeah, to Lewis. Exactly. And it's the only time where we don't, where we have a more sort of logical perspective. Mm. As Lewis's psychiatrist, I can understand your desire for an explanation. As I see it, the trouble began in January, shortly after we convinced your son to seek treatment for substance abuse. Newly sober, I believe Lewis first noticed the monotony of his daily life. So you begin in the cannery where you're sliding the fish heads to the right and decapitating them with the slicer. You're doing that with like one of the analog sticks. So you're kind of like slide and chop and go and slide and chop and go. It becomes very rhythmic. His mind began to wander. 
as Lewis's imagination starts to wander, another game, like an entirely different scenario, invades the screen. Mm. So you get this like little cloud in the top left that slowly starts to invade this like tuna cannery scene where you're just slicing fish heads. It starts to control the whole screen to the point where you can't really see anything anymore. You can just kind of hear the dull thud of the slicer. And, it, and you have to manage both sticks. You one have, in the real yeah. world, one in his imagination. Exactly. I've never come across anything like that before. And that really blew my mind. Every day his imagination grew stronger. He no longer spoke at the cannery. But his chopping was as reliable as ever. I think it really achieves its aim of showing you just how monotonous that job feels to him and how unawake and unalive he feels in real life. He's literally a zombie. I worried about him then. Daydreaming at the cannery. I spoke with his boss. But he said Lewis had become a model employee. Methodical, tireless, focused. Like a whole new Lewis. His imagination is represented on the left-hand side of the screen, his sort of mundane autopilot fish chopping on the right. As one starts to invade the other and it does eventually grow completely, you feel this weird sense of like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm happy in this world. I'm happier here than I was mm. in this gory looking fish cannery, but I know something bad's going to happen. And the moment that she says in that cold, chilling voice, I still thought I could save him. Even after he said he was being crowned king over all the lands of wonder, his queen waited, holding his crown. There was only one thing left to do. Bend down his head. The rest I think you know. Mrs. Finch, your son was a kind man who will be missed by all of us who knew him. My God, there's nothing more powerful than that. I've mm. never seen, I've never felt quite my gut quite sink like that in a game before. It was, it was horrendous. You think about the, you know, the repercussions of suicide for your family and for yeah. his life. You know, you want to think that there might be a chance of saving him. On the way back from Lewis's funeral, my mom told me to start packing. She waited until the day before we left to tell Edie. I'm not sure if she wanted to make it easier or harder. All that's left now is to tell you about that last night. So Edith comes across her bedroom. She uh, looks through and reminisces about that final night. You mm. finally find out why they left. Lewis has died quite soon. Yeah, and she freaks out this. after yeah. Lewis dies, isn't she? Dawn. Yeah, because Lewis has gone... Milton's gone and mm. she's got one left. She's only got Edith and she's basically like, I have to get out right now. Mm. Otherwise I'm going to lose this one too. That thing you're afraid of isn't going to end when you leave the house. Edith has a right to know these stories. My children are dead because of your stories. I think it's best if Edith and I leave tonight. And that's when... Edith gets the book of yes. the stories and yep. she starts to read it whilst her mum and her great-grandma are having an argument. Mm. But it's interrupted, so she only gets one story. Yeah, And exactly. it's Edith's story. Dear Edith, there's so many stories I wish I could tell you, but there's only time for one. It's one of those like old woman rambles where you're like, just get to the point. Yeah. And she's like, and I was walking through the mist and then there was some a deer and then I saw some furniture and then I got turned around. That night, the tide went way, way out. It was the first and last time I ever saw the old house aground. 
she goes to the old house and you you think this is where we're going to find out about the curse maybe you're going to get in there and there's going to be like some demon it's like yeah what up bitches i'm the curse bringer yeah. living at the bottom of the lake the whole time exactly but, yeah no. yeah dawn comes in rips the book out of her hand and says get in the car things i can't explain but that i need you to try and edith what are you doing in here it's mine edith mom you're gonna rip it let go kicked and screamed but mom dragged me to the car bloody nanny edie we never hear the end of her story she yeah. never finishes it oh my god i was so annoyed <laughs> so so annoyed i was because it's so tantalizing she's about to get into the house the house which is the root of all of these things this old house that we've never seen root of the curse it's out there. Mystery. Because then obviously Edith is now talking to her child and mm. she says... Um, it's a lot to ask, but I don't want you to be sad that I'm gone. I want you to be amazed that any of us ever had a chance to be here at all. Good luck. And then the final line uh, of the whole thing is just her writing in this journal, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and I was now. like, yep, okay. Because she dies in childbirth, doesn't she? Presumably. Presumably. Because yes. it seems like um, if you do the maths um, from the date on the gravestone that you see at the very, very end where her son, who's called Christopher, Aww. named after that amazing goldfish, <laughs> who we were so not going to eat. Yeah, he's uh, he looks at the gravestone and it, it would appear that she dies in childbirth. So to kind of give listeners a bit of closure, at least, given that we didn't get any, <laughs> what are our final thoughts? Is this curse real or is mm. it fictitious is it made up in their heads so i've been thinking a lot about this theory that um that granny edie murdered and had her accomplice with um edith's mother and that was like there's some sort of like crazy serial killer sort of thing which i sort of dismissed um when i found out about that uh but i've been thinking more about the fact that granny edie about making the murals and everything i'm a very literal person so if i think oh somebody's died they must have died in a very literal way like um Edith's granddad getting thrown off the cliff by the deer I was Mm. like okay that makes sense I can get on board with that Mm -hmm. so in my mind Granny Edie has had to tell her children and her grandchildren why their siblings keep dying Mm. why their parents keep dying and telling all of these children and explaining death probably for the first time when they're all at a really young age yeah so I think that what's happened successively she said like oh yeah well your older sister this thing happened to her but you know it's going to be okay and here's a lovely mural of the person but then the children have taken that as fact and then it's been cemented further Mm. down the generations whereas maybe it only started as a sort of whimsical way of explaining the world but it's been compounded by all of these sort of like retellings right so i'm not sure about the curse what do you think about a curse see i think it is supernatural i do i i kind of i think about um a lot of those movies that people say are cursed you get a lot of films where a lot of people who worked on the movie died uh, mm. in quick succession in mysterious ways. Yeah. There's coincidence where people just happen to perish in mm. the same way or in mysterious ways or in unconnected ways, but in quick succession. Or there's just downright absurdity. And I don't know where my mind falls as to whether is this all just a big coincidence? They were just the unluckiest family alive? Or is it that there is something in the house? And I think there's almost too much coincidence for me to go, nah, there's definitely bad luck on their side of the family. But whether, like you say, that's because uh, Nanny Edie has kind of gone through and manufactured these these stories Mm. and that's had a bearing on their imagination 
I don't know whether power of attraction, maybe you attract (laughs) what you think, you know, if you think something is going to go wrong, it might do. Mm. Maybe it's an argument for mental attitude, but... um, Yeah, I think also all of the characters, sort of in the moments before their death, they have this like extreme over super confidence, like kid on the swing, like, I'm going to swing all the way around. Gus flying his kite. kite. Yeah, Yeah, there is that sort of like bravado, like, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm invincible. And then, you know, pride before a fall. So I think maybe part of the curse is that it it puts these feelings inside of them that drive them to do these things unknowingly. Yeah, I guess so. Because if you think about Walter, like he should probably not have been walking on train tracks. No. And the same thing with Gus. He should probably have seen fork lightning and been like, should probably not fly my kite there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's uh, imagination breeds confidence, mm. which in this case has been their downfall. A very beautiful, tragic confidence which yeah. i very much enjoyed playing and watching you've seen me do that a few times when i've been trying to rescue a crumpet from the toaster with a knife <laughs> and you're like that's <laughs> on what are you doing and i'm like it's okay i got this <laughs> oh ah such a frustrating ending i really enjoyed the journey of edith finch but that ending had me taking up refuge in a reddit rabbit hole for days man If you have any major feels or thoughts on this episode, we want to hear from you on the socials. Follow us on Twitter at MyGameFiction and at MyGameFictionAddiction on Insta. And let us know your recommendations for awesome game stories we should cover next. And we'll be sure to give you a shout out when we do. The next episode is a biggie. Do you want a clue? Okay, go on, go on. I'll give you a clue. music made all your hairs stand up like one of those inflatable waving tube men you know you need to be here for the next episode before i head off to shake my ass to purple pills by d12 i'd like to shout out some incredible people neil kuhn is our very talented artwork designer daniel ansel is the imaging wizard behind the spoiler alarm and our theme music was created by the legendary matt chapman bespoke music producer music publisher and director of muchas music See you next time, guys. Bye.